Welcome to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast with Sakar Kali. During this program, you will hear guest experts sharing their experiences, best practices, and market insights. We discuss investing in multifamily apartment complexes and how a busy professional can passively invest hassle-free in various opportunities. Your host, Sakar Kali, owns millions of dollars of assets and has done thousands of value-add projects over 20 years now. So listen in for insights. Here's your host, Sakar Kali. Welcome to another edition of Premium Cashflow Podcast. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Gino Barbaro from Jake and Gino uh, Group. Uh, welcome to the show, uh, Gino. I appreciate your time today. Sakar, thank you. And as we like to say, if it don't cash flow, then let the grass grow. So I'm on the right podcast today. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I appreciate your time. So for uh, viewers who, um, who may not have heard of Gino, which I can't imagine, but uh, as famous as he is, I'll try to give a brief, brief background. Uh, Gino came from a restaurant um, industry. Uh, today, the, uh, he and his group uh, control close to 2,000 units. Uh, he is a certified coach. Um, he has written three books along with his partner, Jake. They also have a property management com uh, company. They uh, have a syndication arm. So they, they have a lot of things going on around them. And I, it is my honor today to welcome him and uh, dig in a little bit into their story and uh, sort of uh, see what takes them and what's going on within their group today. So with that, uh, Gino, uh, I hope I did the justice to your, bio, you know, to the variety of background that you have, uh, but uh, kindly enlighten us uh, with some parts that I may not have touched upon. <laughs> well, one of the biggest things is I have six kids. So that's one of the biggest parts of my, uh, of my background. I'm, I have a you know, big family. So when people tell me they don't have time, they don't have, not, they don't have time. They don't have, they don't have enough reasons. So if you don't have enough reasons, you're not going to get what you want and you have to understand what you want, right? Let's focus Absolutely. on what we want. As, as the, as the big Jim quick says, reasons reap rewards. Absolutely. If you don't have enough reasons, you're not going to get the rewards. And Absolutely. for me, uh, ironically, I, I like the restaurant business the first 15 years or so the great recession comes and, and I just don't like it. You know, paint the picture of me going to work like a lot of other people out there, a lot, a lot of, a lot of your listeners, I'm working hard. I don't mind working hard. I'm the son of an immigrant. That was ingrained in my DNA. I still work really hard. But when you don't enjoy what you do and you come home and you're upset and your kids look at you and they start equating hard work with not liking, right? And I didn't want that to happen. I wanted my sure. kids, to, me to come home and be happy and say, dad had a great day at work. And that was happening less and less to me. I was fortunate that I met, I met Jake back in 2009. We, we got together in 2011. Jake moves down to Tennessee in Knoxville. Mm -hmm. Sakara, so it takes us 18 months to find that first deal. And, wow. you know, I, I was already coached. I already had a couple of deals in New York. So I had a little bit of experience, but I focused in on multifamily and I saw that as the future, right? I mean, it's food, clothing, and apartments. And that, that, sure. that is sure. basically the basic human need. So for us, we liked the model back then, but to get started, it was tough. And, mm -hmm. you know, for everybody out there, I had enough reasons. 
I had a great partner and that's ultimately how we got our first deal. And from that first deal, three months later, we got our second deal. And then six months after that, we bought our third deal and then we started the podcast. So for us, it was all about focusing what we wanted. It was about, you know, the journey for me to get out of the restaurant and to replace with a multifamily. And was I in a rush? Yes, like everybody else. It took me a good three years after that first deal to ultimately leave the restaurant, but I had a plan. And I think a lot of people go out there with the notion that, you know what, it's not a lot of work, not a lot of risk. I think everyone out there has to understand that it can be done. It's just you have to be clear about it and you have to have a great team, great people around you to help you execute. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot of, lot of uh, nice things, uh, Gino, right there about, you know, loving what you do. And then, you know, obviously it doesn't feel like you are, you know, grinding or you're hating your life and things mm -hmm. like that. But I want to focus in on uh, that first part where you said it took 18 months to find the deal. Uh, mm -hmm. Like a lot of our listeners, for example, who are listening or watching to this podcast are trying to figure out, okay, why it takes such a long time? What's, I mean, what's the deal? Like, why can't like sometimes, you know, uh, folks will uh, equate multifamily investing to probably like a single family investing of sorts that you know you contact a broker or cmls and you know try to put in an offer and as we both know it's not that simple you you have a lot of uh, you know uh, steps to be done prior to that so could you maybe give us some insights uh, um, gino there as to why it took such a long time for you, uh, you to like come to that 18 month and then you're finding the first they'll give us some baby steps you took first Sure. The first thing I would tell everyone is to think big, but start small. If you're getting into multifamily, three units, fine. If the deal works, it works. I just think that we are bought into this culture of Instagram, having to go out and get a hundred unit deal, 150 unit deal. That may be the first stumbling block where you're saying, how do I do that? I've never done that before. So, you know, you know, your behaviors are belief driven. Have you ever heard of that before? If you believe you can get a hundred units, then you can do that in your first deal. But if you're saying to yourself, I'm not sure, your behaviors that you need to take to get that first deal are not going to be executed. Uh, for anybody out there getting their first deal, what the first few steps I would recommend you doing is select a market. R really choose the market. Don't be in too many markets. And, and why do I say that? You need to start building rapport with the brokers. What we did in our first deal was we thought the brokers were going to come to us and say, hey, Jake and Gino, I've got these deals. It doesn't work like that. They are the gatekeepers. They are the ones who have what Jake and I and Sakar want. They have the deal. So we have to sell them, right? That's why we created the credibility book. That's why we started a podcast. That's why I've written two books because I want to show the broker that I'm a closer. So mm -hmm. it took us a long time to get that first deal because we had that mindset. I think the second deal was, was, the, was the lack of credibility. We didn't have a real business plan. We were just going out there. We didn't have a criteria how many units we were looking for what part of the market we were looking for, what mm -hmm. cap rate. You know, Sakar, when I started, I didn't even know what syndication was. That's why, you know, the first thousand units we bought ourselves, me, Jake, and a partner, ourselves, mm -hmm. because I didn't explore all the different options of getting into multifamily. I had a mentor, but I didn't explore master lease options. I didn't explore seller financing. I didn't explore mm -hmm. syndication. I didn't know. And what you don't know, you don't know, can come Absolutely. ultimately hurt you. So for me, when you get into it, you don't want to over-educate because we say education times action equals results. Right. I was taking massive action, but I wasn't educated enough on the entire platform of multifamily. And mm -hmm. I think to get out there and to start, it doesn't matter how big the first or second deal is because the great Jay Scott says you either do zero deals or you do multiple deals. You don't just do one deal because once right. you do that one deal, it's proof of concept. I just got a three unit. And then all of a sudden, hey, my buddy Sakar, he just bought a three unit. 
how's he doing that? And then all of a sudden people start asking and you start getting more confident and you start going out and you start executing more because it is proof of concept. So I think for everybody out there, when you're first starting out, don't rush, set, you know, select the market, start focusing on that market. And, you know, as far as markets go, not going to bring politics in it. I'm going to bring policy into it. You don't want to be in a market that is losing jobs, that mm-hmm. is losing population, that expenses are spiraling. I mean, in New Jersey, they're going to, you know, create another tax as if they don't have enough taxes up there. They're <laughs> right. creating plenty of taxes up there. So what happens? The average person can't live there and they're moving and they're migrating down to the Southeast. So we did a podcast with a gentleman named Chris Porter. He mm-hmm. wrote the book, Big Shifts Ahead. Don't take it from me. I mean, don't take it from Sakar. Sure. Go out and read the demographics. Go out and see what's happening. Forget the pandemic alone. The pandemic is only going to exacerbate what's been happening for the last two to three years. You have high quality people who are earning good money leaving from California and from New York and from Maryland and from Illinois. They're migrating down to better weather and they're migrating down to better job climates and better cost of living. And find out where they're going. Start focusing on those markets. Their cap rates may be a little bit lower, but it's okay because a lower cap rate denotes less risk. As long as your strategy is to add value and you buy that cap rate, and you can raise the cap rate on the value, that's not a problem. Don't focus just on cap rates because you have to take in risk and growth with that cap rate. Sometimes a five cap in Nashville may be cheaper than a nine cap in Cleveland because you know in Nashville it's growing, but in in Cleveland, you're losing losing population there and there's more risk of that future cash flow being collected in, in Cleveland than it is in Nashville. So when you're analyzing deals, don't just look at that. And I think the last thing I, I would say about this is we focus on the three pillars of real estate at Jake and Gino. You know, first of all, we do buy right, manage right, and finance right. That's our proprietary three-step framework. But the three pillars of real estate, I think in any real estate uh, niche, but especially multifamily, you want to look at the market cycle, where you are. You want to look at the debt that you're putting on the property, what kind of debt you're putting it on, whether it's community, your agency, bridge debt. And the last one is the exit strategy. What are you doing? Are you going to be holding this property for long term? Are you going to be flipping it in three years? Mm-hmm. You have to take all three of those and look at every deal. So when you send the deal and say, is this a good deal? Well, it depends. Let's focus on all three of those pillars and see how it works in our specific model that we're utilizing. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. There's just so much, uh, so many questions you already uh, answered there. <laughs> Gino, I appreciate it. I appreciate the details there. So, uh, Gino, you and Jake acquired these many properties early on, about a thousand doors, as you shared, mm-hmm. right? So what was your model at the time? You were thinking that we were going to own a lot many units cash flow and you know sort of bw2 free of sorts and just hope by just basically buy and hold them uh, give us some uh, thought process into initial uh, <laughs> there was no about. thought process we were just buying deals you know that's one of the things i didn't know that multifamily came down to people systems and culture when you start mm-hmm. buying deals you're not focusing on the business aspect of it you're not focusing focusing on the systems aspect of it you have certain inflections on your multifamily journey as in every sure. other part of your life. Your first deal is the first inflection. I think around a hundred units would be the next person's inflection because all of a sudden you can hire a property manager full-time. You don't need a resident manager. You can hire property maintenance full-time. For us, that was our next inflection. I think our third real big inflection came in around 600 units, believe it or not. It took that long because all of a sudden we didn't have property management software that was good. We had to hire a regional manager. All of a sudden our systems really came into play because Jake couldn't continue to grow the property management and go on the right deals and do all this work and work with Jake and Gino if we didn't implement those systems. Sure. So I think that was really important. I would tell everybody out there something that for me has done really well and it's been been really fortunate for us. Last year, we underwrote over 250 50 deals. Wow. We only closed on two deals. So for, for me, 
I'm not the kind of person who has an ego that says I need to own 5,000 units. I'd mm -hmm. rather do a great deal. You know, no deal is better than a bad deal. I've learned sure. that. Mm -hmm. time and time again. So for everybody out there, focus on what you're looking for. We're doing about an average now 220 to $230 per unit in profit uh, on our portfolio, pure profit after all expenses. We were looking at 100 when we first started out, depending on where you buy these assets, depending on how well you run the assets. Mm -hmm. We're just looking to buy good deals. So I would always tell everybody out there, listen, revenue is vanity, profit mm -hmm. margin is sanity, and cash is king. To me, it doesn't matter how many units I have. I'm not worried and I'm not focusing on the growth. I'm not focusing on the top line, although I do want to continue to grow. I just sure. want to buy really good deals that make sense, that we can vertically integrate, that we can manage within our portfolio. Like I just said to you, Sakar, before, we bought a 52 unit deal. It's a fantastic deal. It's a 90s build, very little deferred maintenance. It's going to cash flow great. It's a really easy to manage in a good location in Knoxville. And it's, we're going to cost segregate the deal. That's going to be a longer term hold. So for us, we'd like the longer term hold, um, mm -hmm. depending on the strategy you employ. Uh, when we bought our first thousand units, we were able to refi over $10 million from the portfolio and continue to buy those assets. That's how we were able to scale. Now with the syndication model on some of those, you may need a full cycle deal where instead of refining them, you may have to sell the deals within three to four years and repay your investors. So it depends what strategy you're employing. Some deals are really great with syndication. Some deals might be heavier lifts for us with it. They have a lot of turns. We're not going to be able to do a preferred rate of return for the next 12 to 18 months. That's mm -hmm. a deal we, we, may, we, may, we may buy internally. So I think everybody out there needs to know what their strategy is and how, you know, as far as I, guess I keep saying that three pillars, are you going to hold it long term? Mm -hmm. Are you going to refi it? Um, is this a syndicatable deal? Can you do creative financing on it? Once you know all of these levers, you're able to be much more flexible and, and have more of an option to be able to negotiate for that deal. And you have more opportunity to take a deal down. Awesome. Awesome. So now, uh, Gina, I want to touch upon uh, sort of the chicken and the egg problem that a lot of investors struggle with. Like mm. uh, folks starting out uh, have two, three, five, ten deals, uh, right? And the cash starts to run low, right? Mm -hmm. That's where you probably bring in the partner, right? Mm -hmm. Then, you know, you are JVing the deals for some time and things like that. And still the money runs out. Mm -hmm. uh, could you maybe help us understand uh, your personal um, uh, sort of group's progression into, uh, okay, you did, uh, I mean, it sounds spectacular, like thousand deals, but then, you know, you go out and syndicate a few things like that. Mm -hmm. Give us some sort of those baby steps that your group took that, okay, um, you know, you are probably investing your own personal money and then mm -hmm. you have a partner. So mm -hmm. walk us through that progression. And, and I appreciate you sharing that uh, other inflection point, uh, uh, touch points where, you know, you were scaling up and how, uh, you know, you started to build up systems. So I, I definitely appreciate that. Sure. So, so for us, it was very simple. Our first 25 unit deal was me, Jake, and my, my brother. We bought it 10% owner financing on the very first deal. So for us, we need to come in with less capital. Three months mm -hmm. after that, we bought a 36 unit deal. I actually brought my partner, Mike, on who's with us right now. So there was four of us in that second deal. Mm -hmm. Six months after that, we found a $4 million deal. We closed on it. My partner, Mike, actually lent the corporation some of the money for the down payment. Mm -hmm. And he took more of the equity because he had more of the money. He had a strong balance sheet. So we were able to buy this property. I mm -hmm. came in and Jake came in. We gave actually gave Jake an acquisition fee because he didn't have money to put in a deal. But since he was doing all the work, he was mm -hmm. going out and he was underwriting the deal. He was meeting with the brokers. He was doing the closing. He was doing the takeover. He was managing the property. He deserved a 2% acquisition fee. So he rolled that fee into his, into his 
uh, into his equity. Sure. So we, we bought the property a year after our first deal. Six months after that deal, we just closed that big deal. We were able to refi our first deal. So that's where we got the I cash see. for the next deal. And mm -hmm. then six months after that, we refied the second deal and we put that money into the next deal. So it is definitely a long-term strategy. You have to have enough reasons. You have to be able to defer it. I mean, transactions pay the bills. Equity makes you rich. And I think that's why with syndication, sometimes syndicators are focused on acquisition fees and they're focused sure. on the back end. And there's nothing wrong with that because you need to pay the bills. But ultimately, you see people who are really wealthy. They're the ones who control the deal. They're the ones who control the equity and are able to say to themselves, I can refi this deal, pay myself back. Loan for, it's a loan to yourself. So you're not paying taxes. So you're making right. tremendous amount of money. You're cost segregating it. So you're actually getting depreciation day one where you're able to pay off to wipe off more taxes. So for us, continuing to do that up to the 1,000 unit mark, that's what we did. And then around 800 units, I said, Jake, everyone's talking about syndication. Can we find out what this is all about? It doesn't make any sense to me. Like, mm -hmm. how are people doing these deals, right. not putting any money in? And for me, that was an inflection. I was like, okay, that's a way to leverage our brand. That's a way to leverage our community and to raise money and also own part of the general partnership. And then we're able to invest on the limited partner side. So we're able to get a dividend quarterly. And then sure. also we're able to control the deal on the general partner side. Now there's risks involved. We have to sign on the debt that, so there's a risk there, but sure. we're getting paid both ways. We're getting asset management fees. So that's part of the, uh, syndication company right there. We're able to get, you know, limited partner fees and then went, you know, actually acquisition fees on the front end. So it's a great model. Um, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. not, not every deal is going to follow that with that model, but, it's just another tool in the toolbox. We've syndicated three deals, 500 units since we started. We're about ready to sell our first syndication. See, we haven't really sold that many of our deals internally, but that first syndication, I mean, I can give you the numbers. We bought it for about 6.2 million all in. It's probably worth over $9 million in, in, in two years, in 24 months. Wow. That is a really, you know. That is really, a sweet return. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. So, so for us, if it was me and Jake and Mike, we'd probably refinance the deal and hold it long-term. But for the investors to be able to return that capital within two years, and um, we're actually selling a piece of property on that, on that, on that deal in the next uh, month. It's only selling for like $120,000, but we're returning that capital to the investors. So if they have five or 6%, they get another $5,000 check. So sure. it's really, it's a sweet deal. So just to say about the syndication, that one we would probably sell because our investors are gonna get a nice big return. And you know what, the next deal we find, they're gonna wanna give us the money back. So really focus on what strategy you wanna employ. I hope I answered that question. Uh, you did, you did. And I think there are some uh, some nuances that uh, our viewers may have missed. I think mm -hmm. what you, uh, alluded to also Gino there is that real estate riches are in the long haul. It's mm -hmm. not about boom, you do it and you're done in next two years. It, mm -hmm. it, really, I mean, it, it might happen. It's not that it doesn't, but mm -hmm. it's, it's more about, you know, looking at the long-term horizon as you indicated, right? Mm -hmm. uh, now, going back to your first thousand units, uh, Gino there, I think uh, is your model something uh, about, you know, buy something that's, uh, you know, let's say like um, that needs deep value add, mm -hmm. uh, whether it is, you know, physical improvements or operational efficiencies and things like that. And then, you know, you get a massive uh, upside on your net operating income. And then, you know, you can go, of course, go refi, things like that. Mm -hmm. That's how you sort of generate that capital to go and invest further. Was that your model uh, further? And I appreciate you clarifying also, Gino, there that uh, different deals require different strategies mm -hmm. uh, as how you want to, you know, take them down. Yeah. Uh, so so to, to the answer to the question, when we first started out, 
you're buying different deals when you first start out than when you have 1500 units. I would not buy our first deal again right now. I just wouldn't because it was, it, was, it was a weekly rental. Mm-hmm. Um, it was tough. It was a tough management play. Uh, also, in the type of the cycle you're in right now, right now you're in, a buyer's, you're, you're, in a, you're in a buyer's market right now. You may not be buying those deep, you know, the seller's market. You may not be buying those 1960s, 1970s build right now because you're going to put all the value in. Our asset price is going to continue. They're going to drop right now. So you're putting in all that value. And are they going to drop? Now, if you're going to hold it long term, it's okay. But like I said, you need to know what your exit strategy is. For sure. us, mm-hmm. when we first started out, B's and C's, predominantly C's, right? The mm-hmm. problem with the C's now, the 1960s and 70s product out there, at the part of the market where they were for the last two to three years, cap rates were like four and five for those assets. And there were so much CapEx requirements on them that you were overpaying for them. Now, when, when they reset and they go to six and seven caps, I would say, okay, if you can budget in the CapEx and you can make it work and you're buying it right. Remember buying it right. That, that's, right. that's the key. I'm not going to look at a 1970s build and say, I'm not looking at that vintage. Mm-hmm. I'd rather get the newer vintage. But if I can get a 90, we bought a 1970s build uh, about 18 months ago. We paid 27 a door for ones and ones and twos mm-hmm. they're worth it door. So I'm going to sure. buy the app when it makes sense to buy it at that price, but mm-hmm. it, we haven't been able to buy it at those prices for the last two to three years. So for everybody out there, when you're first starting out, you're going to buy deals that are a little bit more challenging. As mm-hmm. you start expanding your portfolio, you're going to be saying to yourself, mm, do I want this much of a management headache? Do I want to be in these kinds of areas? Because they may be a little bit more challenging to manage. So for us, we're just looking right now, 80s, 90s build in, in, in better areas. We're always looking in the Southeast. We're looking in Nashville. Within, within, two to th- within three to four hours of the Knoxville market, we love area, whether it's Asheville, North Carolina, whether it's Greenville, whether it's Huntsville, all those markets around there we're looking at. And we're looking at 80s and 90s build. We're not going to say no to a 70s build if you can buy it right. It's all about getting that price where it makes sense. And then that, that CapEx, like we say, you know, one of my coaches likes to say the CapEx tsunami. A lot of these properties have not addressed their, their plumbing issues, their roof issues, their driveway <laughs> issues. All of a sudden, one day that bill comes due, and then what happens? You're stuck. You're, you're sitting in that chair. There's a lot of money that needs to be put into these properties. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, ask me how I know. <laughs> we, we, have, we have our internal portfolio in 40s, and, you know, we, we get those bills every now and yes. then. Uh, yes. So now, uh, Gina, I want to turn attention to um, you know, your propriety framework about buying right, uh, mm-hmm. you know, financing right and manage right, right? Mm-hmm. So the manage right component, right? So you have your own internal property management company that mm-hmm. I think uh, Jake heads, as you, uh, as you indicated, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, give us some uh, tidbits about, um, you know, why you came to a conclusion that yes, we want to, uh, you know, manage all our properties. And I want to preface that uh, by also saying that there's this um, sort of philosophy also out there that, hey, just have third-party management when you are in the acquisition mode, right? Mm -hmm. Don't don't take on the, uh, you know, those challenges up front. But given your experiences that you have and when you started, I think taking on property management is probably one of the toughest things that uh, probably a lot of viewers may not even recognize Mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, like buying the deal, then, you know, dealing with all the tenant issues that come with it and also the ongoing renovations and the CapEx and things like that. Mm -hmm. Walk us through like what your philosophy was and why you came to a conclusion that, yes, we got to have our own property management company. Well, the short 
answer really is that Jake wanted to get out of his W2 job. So he's like, Hey, I can make an extra 10% managing this 25 unit property, which is another 1300 bucks a month in my pocket. So let me do that. And then three months later, we bought that second deal. So all of a sudden Jake is making about three grand a month managing these properties in Tennessee. Well, he could almost leave his job doing that. And he, I don't want to say he fell in love with it, but he really started enjoying that because he was never an entrepreneur. He never built the business. So he started building the business. Now, one thing about having your own property management company, that a lot of people say is it may slow down your growth. If you're in acquisition mode, you want to get into a thousand, 2000, 3000 units, it's going to slow you down because you have to focus on it. Now, like I said to you previously, I'm not into getting the number of units. I don't care how many that may be short sighted. We're saying, you know, you want to grow. And like I said, the more units you have, the more units you control, the more equity you I, to me, that doesn't matter to me. I want to own really good properties. I want to control the process. You know, so Carl, when we put a, when we bring a deal on board, we have to be able to onboard that deal with our property management company. We don't care. You know, when you're buying your deals, you don't, you have to worry about your property management company, whether if it's a third party property management, sure. you're still vetting the, you're still vetting the property management company as if you're running it yourself. You still need to be on weekly calls with the property sure. management company. Mm -hmm. You still need to have your key performance indicators built in with them. So, you know, we teach our students all those KPIs. We teach our students how to take a property over. For me, it's once again, what are you looking to get? Are you looking to leave your job? Are you looking to get in the multifamily and you live in a, in a decent market where, hey, I can buy these deals. I may be able to get a little equity by managing the property for somebody, or I may be able to raise some money and tell everybody, I'll run day to day. You guys don't have to worry about it. And I'll get paid a management fee mm -hmm. to manage the property. So that's what Jake ended up doing. And then he ended up just liking it. He said, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to do property management full time. And the first couple hundred units, we were doing it together. I was doing the bookkeeping and I was, I was helping him out run manage the properties from New York. And then he finally said, you know what? Let's start an education company. Let's start a podcast and write a book. And I'm like, okay. So my energy got diverted to that part and he continued the property management. And the great thing is, you know, Sakara about, about multifamily, it's a scalable business. You can hire people. That's the best part about it. I don't have 50 houses that are scattered all over. We have sure. properties that we have offices that we can hire full-time employees. And that's, the, that's one of the beauties of multifamily. It's scalable and you have the economies to scale with it. I see. Thank you. Thank you for that clarification. Now, Gino, knowing the diverse business model and different ways of how you take down properties uh, that come to your door, right? Now, let's say a broker sends you a OM and you kind of look at it. Give us first steps as to, you know, like how you look at that and how, what goes into your preliminary analysis and things like that. Walk us through that progression. Please. Sure. That's a great question. Uh, first thing we like to do is we like to look at median income. Mm -hmm. of the of the area uh, first we should know where we want to invest in so for us let's say knoxville for instance we don't even want to see any deals on the east side of knoxville so we'll tell brokers we're not looking there so we don't waste their time mm -hmm. they don't waste our time but then obviously the next part if we're intimately knowledgeable with the market we will actually tell them okay we'll look at the median income we want at least three times rent for mm -hmm. in the median income so that's mm -hmm. the first thing they'll tell you about the quality of the tenants i think the next thing you can jump on the fema flood maps and see if it's in a flood zone very important to do i think number three go to apartments.com go to rentometer see where rents are in comparison to what your deal is you have to look at the competition and see if there's any value looking on it i would also mm -hmm. say go on google go on any kind of reviews and see how the property is actually performing if there's a lot of negative reviews about pest control about pro about the management then you may have a value add component there mm -hmm. so focus Focus on rent, 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 the area first before you're looking at the deal. Because if it's in a marginal area, don't waste time underwriting the deal. You can save yourself a lot of time. But once you do like the deal, then have the metrics you're looking at. When we first started out, ACAPs were all the rage. 
Now you may have to settle for six cap. You may have to settle for a five or six or seven or eight percent cash on cash return day one with the ability to raise raise it. You need to have a debt coverage ratio of at least one point three right now. So have your buying parameters set up and set in. And you know what? It's back to I think buying on actuals right now. Over the last couple of years, we we're overpaying for you know performance and we we're paying for a little bit of the profit. I think things are going to be coming back down a little bit. Don't know you know, how much, I'm not sure where, because certain, you know, real estate, you know, Sukar is very, it's very market specific. What may be happening sure. in, in Ellicott mm -hmm. is not happening in Knoxville. Sure. So that's why you need to know your market. You need to know. And I think ultimately you need to do property tours. You need to get on site because it may look great on Google maps, but how far are you from shopping? How, you know, how is the area? How is the security? How is the lighting? You have to really get an intimate feeling for what the market is all about. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, Gino, you said that you, you are looking for three times the rent. So are you like maybe going to websites and things like that to just kind of find out what the average uh, yeah. household income is? There's uh, is a geo. Yeah. There's a, there's a, I can send you a link. There's a geo tracker, geo map that we use to track median income. And that's important because that'll tell you in the area, if you're trying to get, you know, a thousand dollars a month in rent and the median income is 25 grand, it's not happening. It's not going to work. Not, and you know, you're not gonna be able to raise rents also. So that's the other thing you want to, you know, it's very difficult uh, and challenging when, when you're in the C space because a lot, a lot of the renters, they're more challenging. They, they live, they're working week to week, month to month. This pandemic has really pushed a lot of them where they lose a job. They don't have backups. So you need to have some type of stability. So at least knowing, and that was a problem for the last three or four years. A lot of these operators were overpaying for these type of assets. Five and six years ago, you've been doing this for a long time. They were called distressed. The new right. keyword the last four or five years has been value add. Sure. They're just distressed. That's all they are. They just like to market and package it. It's not, it's not a value. It's a distressed asset. So you Absolutely. need to be make sure that you're buying it for the right price. Right, right, right. Now, uh, since as we are just coming out of the COVID pandemic, uh, Gino here, right? A lot of properties have experienced, uh, or rather a lot of tenants have experienced, you know, job losses or hours being cut and things like that. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, ultimately is showing up on our, uh, you know, sort of on our ledgers, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so as now deals come on board, um, how do you go about, uh, you know, sort of trying to understand that, okay, you know, what, how did this property perform during March, mm -hmm. April, May, when the whole COVID pandemic is going down, going on? Like, do, do you have any strategies or any like touch points that investors can uh, sort of uh, take home with? Yes. Very important going forward. You're going to be looking at the jobs and the employers in the area, because if something like this happens, you know, areas with essential workers, areas with jobs that are growing, areas where people can work from the home, they're going to be much more, I think you're going to enjoy those a lot more. When you have these jobs that all of a sudden they lose for three months, you can say to yourself, hmm, maybe those jobs aren't coming back also. So it's really important to see where the tenants are working and see where they're working from. Uh, that's one thing. I think the second thing, you're going to be focusing on the market even more because like I said, you want an area where it's growing. You want an area where the, where the landlords aren't being punished. I mean, there's a difference between Kentucky and Tennessee. Kentucky, it's been more, I don't want to say tenant friendly, but we have been able to evict. It's going to take a while to evict. I think July is, is when we first start evicting. Tenants aren't paying as much. Tennessee, we haven't had it. We've actually reopened up. Uh, it's been open for a few weeks now. Our collections have been great. And going forward, I think the stimulus money really helped a lot of people out. And I think sure. unemployment really helped a lot of people out. But you want to be in an area where it's more pro-business. I mean, I live in Florida. 
we closed for two or three weeks here. The construction continued. There were still people working here, whereas in New York, it's shut down. They're, totally. they're actually, I think landlords are going to uh, court and them and that in Boston, they're going to court. They want to sue because the eviction process, I don't think they can evict until August. So that's a, that's a nightmare for landlords. I mean, Absolutely. You, can't, you can't collect, you don't want to do defeasance. So you don't, you don't want to, you, you don't want to do forbearance because it's going to be a big, big red it's a mark huge, on your it's a huge issue right now that's, yeah that's, so that's, so what i'm saying is look at not again policy versus politics i mean you do you want to be in a market where they're closing down they're taking away your rights but you can go and protest for this but you can't open your business up that that's a difficult soul-searching decision that's why i ultimately moved out of new york to florida because i said you know what if i'm going to open a business i'm going to buy property in jacksonville i feel much more comfortable buying properties down here than i do up in the northeast right right now uh, you indicated that you are a big fan of knoxville and sort of three uh, three hours general uh, periphery around right mm -hmm. uh, give us insights into um, you know what sort of activity you are seeing down there that keeps you excited about the prospects of that area well first of all there's no state income tax second thing Knoxville looks a lot like New York. So we have people from New York moving to Knoxville. We have people uh, from all parts of the, of the country moving because it's a beautiful state. It's really affordable still. I mean, mm -hmm. Nashville is a booming city. People are moving because it's country music. Right. There's just, mm -hmm. It's just a, the universities there. Uh, Knoxville's got University of Tennessee also. I think there's, I think when you're looking at certain markets, look at the Texas market, it's the affordability. It's not even for the employers. It's for the employees who work there. They can actually buy a house and they can actually live a life and still the employer can pay them one third of what they're paying in another state. And, and that's what they're doing. So when you're seeing all these companies migrate down, like look at Charlotte, North Carolina, 10 years ago, it was nothing compared to what it is now. All these companies moving because it's they have the infrastructure, they have the airports, they have the the they have everything's newer. The infrastructure is newer, and people are moving because of those jobs. So that's why we like within those three hours because there's a lot of different cities. You see where Chattanooga is going, you see where Nashville is going, you see where Huntsville is going. They're all emerging, and they have emerged as cities, and they're going to continue to emerge because people are moving down. I mean, the migration is happening in front of our eyes as we speak. It's it's amazing what's going on right now. Thank you. Thank you. Now, turning subjects a little bit uh, here, Gino, uh, you and Jake wrote the book called Honeybee. Mm -hmm. uh, explain us the genesis and sort of the philosophy around that uh, book and how it came about. So Jake was sitting around one day and he's like, you know, we've got all these different businesses. How do they come about? I'm like, I have no idea how they came about. We just started doing one thing, then another thing, and another thing. And the beautiful thing about multifamily or even any real business is if you can create multiple streams of revenue that are I don't that are really complementary and symbiotic. They work together. Like I would mentioned to you before, you have the investment in multifamily. And then all of a sudden you do the education. So from the education, you know from this, this podcast, you learn so much from people that you speak to. And when you're starting to teach something, you really learn it even more. So Absolutely. you're able to monetize on it. You're able to learn it yourself. And then you have the property management arm, which is another you know, vehicle, another complimentary stream. I'm not saying go open a car wash. I'm saying <laughs> let's, let's focus within the multifamily realm. Sure. You can do the education. You can do the syndication. We've actually happened, uh, opened a uh, company that we do mortgages for our students. So we're doing mortgages also. So it, they, they work all well together. So if a student needs a mortgage, bam, 
let's use our mortgage company or the education aspect of it. We can teach our students. And on top of it, if we need to get them loan or a refi, we can use our mortgage company to do that. So the, you know, the honeybee is just a story about a drug rep. It's a, it's a business parable about a pharmaceutical rep. He meets a gentleman named Tom. And I, for me, it's more of a mind shift. It's a car. You know, Tom is the beekeeper. He is the guy who's wealthy and Noah gets to realize that the W2 job, he's the honeybee going out and doing the work mindlessly like the honeybee. Well, who's the person getting wealthy? It's the person who owns the honeybee. Sure. Now the honeybee is the long-term strategy. It takes a while to create that honey. We are as W2 employees, just programmed to go to work, not to ask questions. We are ultimately, as I like to say, we're building other people's dreams. That's what we're ultimately doing. So what we want people to think of is how can we build our own dream? How can we work on our own dream? How can we, you know, really control our own honeybee? Thank you. Thank you for that. So we are just about uh, time uh, for, for the episode. Uh, Gino, I appreciate your time. Uh, tell our listeners, uh, Gino, as you got started, what was some of the best advice you got that has kept you moving and, you know, in a disciplined manner? So for me, I didn't, didn't get the advice, but I look back on it. And it was really being clear about what I wanted. It was really focusing on what I wanted because I always told people, people say, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't want to be at the restaurant anymore. And that's not the answer. And that's not the question you were asking me. You ask yourself questions. The better questions you can ask yourself, the better answers you're going to get. And I think you have to think about critical thinking. You have to really think deep down inside. You want to use your mind emotionally. You want to use it logically and analytically. Use all three parts of your brain when you're trying to solve any problem. Leaving New York was hard for me, right? There was a lot of emotions to it. But if you look at it logically, I mean, when I moved down here, my cost of living was cheaper. The quality of living is better. I could invest in my backyard. Uh, the weather was, I mean, everything was better. But the emotions of leaving my family. So I think when you're starting out, really map out what you want your life to look like. Map out what financial freedom to you is because this vehicle will be able to provide financial freedom. But if you don't know what financial freedom looks like, then you don't know what to build for. Like for us, this is financial freedom to Jake and I working in these different businesses. We don't want to retire. So if you want to retire, maybe the third party property management is the route for you to go longer term because you can give the keys to somebody. You have a couple of calls a week. I don't want to do that. That's not what financial freedom to me is. Ultimately, it may be, and I may want to sell all these assets out when I'm a lot older, but for now it's not. So really being clear. And then I think ultimately just trying to surround yourself with some great like-minded people. Having a partner like Jake was wonderful for me because it held me accountable. I was working for myself, but I was also working for him and his family. So when I needed to do something, I don't mean I can't have an excuse. If I got a podcast with Sakara at 2 p.m. today, I need to get on that podcast. I cannot get on that podcast because I'm not just doing it for myself. I'm doing it for my team members and for my partner. So for me, the partnership has been invaluable. Thank you. Thank you. I love the clarity and the detailed answers, you know, it's been mm -hmm. a pleasure. Uh, please share with our listeners how they can find you and learn more about you. Sure. Just go to jakeandgino.com. If you go to jakeandgino.com forward slash honeybee, you'll get a few resources of the book. You'll get some uh, videos on there. You'll be able to download our credibility book. If you want to you know, invest with our team, there's an invest button there. So you can click on that. But I mean, ultimately there's we do a lot of podcasts. We do four shows a week. So you have all our podcasts and all our blogs there. It's enough for you to get started and to see, hey, is this the right vehicle for me? And then when it is, just take the next step and just continue to listen to content and continue to educate yourself. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Gino. I know you're a busy person. I appreciate your time. And I look forward to, uh, you know, interacting with you again in another episode. Sakar, thank you very much for having me on. And everybody, let's go out there and let's make it happen.
Thank you. Thank you. I, I love that attitude. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Thanks. Gino. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please join us at premiumcashflow.com to sign up for weekly updates, research articles, and more. We will see you again for another great interview with an expert guest.